Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this episode, we look at the principle of cause and effect and how it relates to the theme of exile and return. How are we supposed to reconcile the providence of God with the people's choice to trust and obey? We explore stories from First Chronicles, revisit the character of King Cyrus, and look at three minor prophets, Ezra, Haggai, and Zechariah. Okay, we're still in the Exile and Return series. I was telling uh, these guys that the uh, series has kind of worn me out. It's such a massive amount of information that I'm trying to summarize and put into a, and to put into a capsule. It's kind of worn out my research capabilities, but uh, I've sure enjoyed it. I hope you have. In Exile and Return, of course, we have the mega context where uh, we as humanity were exiled from the Garden of Eden. Uh, on, that, on that day when they sinned, they're exiled from the garden. That's death. And everything God had intended for humanity, uh, which was all the perfection of harmony, of relationship with one another, harmony of relationship with family, <clears throat> harmony of relationship with work and our roles, harmony of walking with God, harmony with nature, all those harmonies were, bro- were broken that day. And the exile, exile is death. As Socrates chose... Hemlock over exile because he understood that that relationship and harmony with your purpose is life. And we're in this long exile. All of us are in exile pending our return to the Garden of Eden uh, in the new earth when the tree of, uh, um, of life will again be at the center and we'll be able to eat of it and so forth. So we're in this big exile and return uh, era and we have this window into a physical exile and return that Israel experienced uh, and uh, <clears throat> that the lessons from that are directly applicable to us. And we've talked about um, all the massive amount of biblical uh, books that, that touch on this exile and return. So the three main points of today's lessons are the pr- a principle, the principle of cause and effect, uh, the providence of God, and the people's obedience and trust. The principle of cause-effect, the providence of God, and the people's obedience and trust. And we're going to start in First Chronicles. First Chronicles chapter 9. First Chronicles and Second Chronicles uh, appears on first, on first uh, examination to be a retelling of First and Second Kings. And for many years I wondered why did they put it in here twice? First and Second Chronicles, probably according to Jewish tradition, was written by Ezra, the, the uh, scribe. And Ezra, as we'll look at in some depth today, is uh, intimately involved with the return from exile in Babylon. And it is a retelling, but it's a retelling from the perspective of we're not in the land anymore and we don't have a king anymore. Why did this happen to us? And the the kind of the theme of the book is summarized in 1 Chronicles chapter 9 verse 1 after eight chapters of genealogies if if you have been exiled ripped out of your land taken to another land one of the things you want to know is who am i who are we as people are we babylonian and the first eight chapters answer the question no you're not babylonian you are hebrew 
And here is your genealogy and who you're connected back to. And after the end of the genealogies, who are you? The answer to the questions, why has this happened to us, is, is uh, answered. Chapter 9, verse 1 of First Chronicles. So all Israel was recorded by genealogies, and indeed, they were inscribed in the book of the kings of Israel, but Judah was carried away captive to Babylon because of their unfaithfulness. And there's a pretty good summary of First and Second Chronicles right there. You see that same basic message embedded as you go through the book. Just as an example, if you just flip over to chapter 10, verse 13, you see after the story of Saul's death with his son Jonathan, it says, So Saul died for his unfaithfulness which he had committed against the Lord. The principle of cause-effect. Now, God has built this principle of cause-effect and it's always operating. There's a cause-effect with even our new birth, with the grace of God. Uh, We, in Adam, sin, and we fell. And because of that, death entered the world. That was a that's a cause. And as a result, Jesus, God, in the form of Jesus, the Messiah, came down and paid the price for death with his own death. And as a result, we can be brought back into the family of God. It's still cause-effect. Even the grace of God is cause-effect. Now, having been born into the family, our choices have consequences. We reap what we sow. Uh, Our reaping and sowing has nothing to do with whether or not we're in the family of God. It has everything to do with who we become and the impact we have on the world and the extent to which we experience the promises of God and the life that he's given us. This principle, we'll we'll see it again. So that's the first point. The second point is the providence of God. Let's go to the book of Ezra. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah kind of the last books of the uh, historical section of uh, the Bible. And then, of course, it's overlapped significantly with the prophets, which we'll see in some degree of detail today. So we've got the principle of cause-effect, the first point. Now we'll see the providence of God. Let's look at Ezra chapter 1. This... this uh, Now, in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, let's just review our timeline real briefly. Uh, We've had the exile from Israel to Babylon take place in three waves, three dates. So we've got 605, that's the one Daniel goes out with. 597, that's the one that uh, Ezekiel goes out with. He's in the countryside of Babylon. And 586, and that's the one where Jeremiah is in the city um, being thrown in a well and, and uh, eating starvation diet and all that sort of thing. Okay, so uh, and then in 539, the handwriting on the wall happens, uh, and Darius the Mede takes over um, the city and uh, captures Persia, and now Babylon becomes Persia. Okay, Darius the Mede. Darius the Mede is probably also called Cyrus. Um, so. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Okay? So Jeremiah prophesied something. And in the first uh, year of Cyrus, 
this 539, 538 time frame, uh, that the word of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Let's see what word of Jeremiah we're talking about. So look at Jeremiah 29.10, right next to the famous verse. 29.10 of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, again, he prophesies all about the exile and return from Jerusalem. He's the from Jerusalem correspondent. you got the correspondent and an actor in the government in, in Daniel during this time period. And you've got the countryside reporter of Ezekiel during this time period. And in 29 chapter 10, I'm sorry, chapter 29, 10 of Ezekiel, it says, For thus says the Lord... After 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Okay, so now we go back to Ezra. And it says that the word of the Lord from the prophet Jeremiah might be fulfilled. This is, by the way, the same prophecy that Daniel read. There's, there's a mail or courier service between uh, Babylon and uh, Jerusalem going on. And Daniel read this prophecy. And you can see in Daniel, one of his big visions happened because he starts praying and fasting before God and saying, uh, I see this clock ticking. How are you going to do this, God? We've repented. I repent on behalf of everybody. How's this going to happen? Because he knew that Jeremiah was a real prophet. That the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. Is the king of Persia a notorious God follower? Not not particularly, right? Is Persia a God-chosen country? Not particularly. But look at this. Look at Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah now is prophesying during the time of uh, Hezekiah. So Hezekiah is back just like 700 B.C., just before the Assyrian captivity of of, uh, Israel or Samaria, the the northern uh, kingdom. So Isaiah... So we're now 125 years earlier in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28. 44:28. Who says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasures, saying to Jerusalem, You shall be built. 700 B.C. now. And to the temple your foundation shall be laid. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him and lose the armor of, loose the armor of kings. So here we are in 700 B.C. And the, through the mouth of Isaiah, God is saying, I'm going to raise up somebody in Persia, which wasn't even the world power at that point in time. His name's going to be Cyrus. And he's going to say Jerusalem should be rebuilt. And at this point in time, Jerusalem's not even knocked down. Uh, liberal scholars before the, you know, 60s or so were very confident that there were two Isaiahs. Uh, an Isaiah that wrote chapter 1 through 39 that actually lived back in Isaiah's time. And then another Isaiah that wrote 40 and, and later that probably wrote all this maybe after Jesus. Because it had so many precise predictions in there, of course, that he had to be writing in arrears, you know, know knowing what happened. 
and uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, and, one, and the prized possession that you can actually see a, a uh, reproduction of the whole scroll in the, in the uh, shrine of the book in, in Jerusalem, and they show the whole scroll, and it's a one continuous scroll of Isaiah, unbroken, no, no break point at chapter 40, kind of blew their theory away. Because God is in control of things, and if He wants a pagan ruler to do something that fits His plan, then that's what's going to happen. Cyrus, my anointed. Uh, You'll see things happen in your lifetime from this point forward and have seen things in your lifetime from this point back where you are disgusted with a ruler somewhere. And you never know if that ruler is doing something at God's behest. Okay? It's fine to be disgusted. And it's really good to stand up for what's true and what's right. Daniel did. But God's in control. God is sovereign. He's, he's, in, he's, in, he's in charge. We should never despair because of what is happening. We should only worry about what God has asked us to do. So God's sovereignty is really amazing here. The providence of God really at work. We haven't even made it out of verse 1 in, uh, in Ezra. and it's, it's all over the place. Well, Ezra then chronicles the raising up of a fellow with the wonderful name of Zerubbabel. And um, Z for short, probably. And Zerubbabel takes a group back from Babylon to, um, it, to Israel to repopulate it. And they take about 50,000 people, something like that. You know, today, if you go to Israel, there's 7 million people in the land, and it's mostly uninhabited. 50,000 people. So you think about so the, the land of Israel is kind of like from, is about uh, you know, 100 miles long and 60 miles wide or something like that. You scatter 50,000 people in there, it's just not very many people. But they went. This was a, it's a pretty brave thing to do. And when they went, one of the first things they did is to start building the temple again. So chapter 5 of Ezra. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Zodak, rose up and began to build the house of God which is in Jerusalem. Okay. Now, before this... And we can see this uh, roughly, let's see, let's see, look at 264, uh, sorry, let's look at uh, 38, 38, now the second month of the second year of the coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, Yeshua the son of Zodak, and the rest of their brethren, the priests and Levites, and all those who had become to the captivity of Israel, began to work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. And uh, verse 10 when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel and trumpets, and the Levites of Asaph were assembled. They had brought all this stuff back with them from, uh, uh, from uh, Babylon. Verse 11 they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. This is a praise service here. He is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. 
Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted for joy. So I've actually misspoke about this in the past, that it was the temple. It was actually a foundation of the temple where the old men cried because it was so pathetic compared to what they had had before that was torn down. It reminded them of a painful memory. And the young guys are like, yeah, we're back again. Okay, so they have this joint celebration. Well, why do we have them beginning to build again in chapter 5 when the foundation's already been laid? The answer is because after the foundation's laid and you have this small group of people in the land, resistance arose. So if you look at chapters 4, there are these letters going back to these kings saying, hey, look in the history and see how uh, responsive and submissive Jerusalem's been. Because not that long before, Nebuchadnezzar had had to stomp out a rebellion by raising everything to the ground. It's only 586. You know, this is, this is 539. It's only 40 years prior. And they do a search and find out, yeah, sure enough, it's a really, it's a really uh, bad city. Now, <clears throat> Cyrus has uh, gone on to the next life. And a couple of short-term kings come in. In, uh, secular, uh, in the secular world, these guys are called uh, Kamses and Smyrtus. In the, in the scripture here, they're called Ahasuerus and Artaxerxes, which is very confusing to me because the Ahasuerus and Art, there's an Ahasuerus and Artaxerxes that happen after Darius that have that name in the scripture and also in, uh, uh, in, in secular uh, terminology. So I, that, but that really has to be the answer here because the restoration is going to happen under uh, Darius and Artaxerxes. So they write this. They write this thing, and these guys are, you know, new kings. New kings always have political turmoil. And in comes a letter that says, "Hey, there's all. All that's happening here is they're about to start another rebellion." And understandably, the king says, "Tell them to stop." So there's a ceasing. So now you get Haggai and Zechariah that rise up, and they have a and they have a message. Chapter five, they have a message. So let's look at Haggai. Let's look at Haggai. You can go to Matthew and just thumb back a couple of books. You got Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai. Haggai in the second year of King Darius. So now we have we've got uh, Cyrus. He dies. You get these two guys that were just king for a short time. One of them says, "Hey, stop!" and uh, and they, so you've had this pause. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. So Zerubbabel is the guy that led him back, laid the foundation of the tap, temple. And now Haggai is actually prophesying mainly to one person. And he says, and to Joshua, or Yeshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. You know, it's just not time yet. The temple needs to be built, but it's just not time yet. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to be in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and brought in little. 
You eat but do not have enough. You drink or not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, no one's warm. He who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Consider your ways. Go build the temple. So here we have both the providence of God and cause effect. When we, you know, we, there's nothing we can do to take ourselves, pluck ourselves out of the family of God. Because the cause effect there is an eternal payment for all of our sins and we've been brought into the family. But now being in the family and being children, every decision we make is a reaping and sowing decision. And God is saying here, look, you're focusing on trying to build your little life here and make yourself comfortable and whatever, and your inward focus is actually what's killing you. (coughs) Focus on me and doing what I'm asking you to do, and I'll take care of the rest. Jesus is going to say something like that later, right? So... Haggai's message is basically get that get going, get your rear end gear and build this temple. Let's look at Zechariah, the next one over. Zechariah is going to have the same message, but in a little different format. Haggai is pretty straightforward. Zechariah, if we look four, verse nine, verse eight, chapter four, verse eight. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Zechariah, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you'll know the Lord has sent me to you. So, Zechariah is actually saying Zerubbabel's going to finish this temple. Imagine yourself listening to these two prophecies if you're Zerubbabel. And you've got these Persian kings who have stomped you and they're, you know, head of the earth to deal with. Well, they send another thing back to Darius. Now Darius is king and Darius says, uh, and they says, search the, um, this is a governor that sends this back. Darius does a search and finds the Cyrus decree to rebuild the temple. Cyrus likely is the, is, uh, you know, the same guy that knew Daniel and was greatly influenced by Daniel. Uh, and saw Daniel saved by the lions and said after that happened, this is the real God. So Cyrus probably really was a believer in God. And he probably was really one of God's servants. That doesn't tell us, we just have clues. But he he does this and and the temple starts again. And they get it built and they get it finished. Not The resistance doesn't stop. Uh, but they, it stops for long enough for them to get that done. So now we go to um, Zechariah's bigger picture. So Haggai says, go and build that temple, guys. Zechariah says, Zerubbabel is going to build this temple, but this is a little part of a big plan. Because if you read Zechariah, he stood up and said, yeah, I'll build that temple. But boy, he says so much more. So let's take a little look at Zechariah. And again, we saw, the, we saw this principle of cause and effect. And we're, now we're talking about the providence of God. And now the providence of God that we've seen with this you know, specific prophecy. This person called Cyrus is going to rebuild Jerusalem. Uh, this word of Jeremiah is going to be fulfilled. Uh, this... Uh, prophecy that this guy is going to go and lead the people and they're going to rebuild the temple, moving the kings from being opposing to being supporting uh, in support of that. Now let's just take a look at, uh, at uh, Zechariah's big picture. We'll just look at a few things. 
Uh, all of this has to do with the exile and return, but Zechariah is going to talk more about the concentric circles of exile and return. Because we're going to have this exile and return from, from Babylon to Israel in the time of Jeremiah. And then we're going to have this big exile and return that we've just started to see, the, uh, I think, the uh, fulfillment of in 1948 when Israel becomes a state and goes from just a few handful of Jews now to like 6 million Jews. Um, and then ultimately the return of Jesus to restore the kingdom to Israel. Okay? So let's just look at a few things here that Zechariah did. This is a little bit of a big plan. And I, and I want to make this point now, and I'll, I think I'll reinforce it, but a lot of times we think that what God's given us to do seems trivial, don't we? And, and building a building might seem trivial. Uh, giving some money to build a building might seem trivial. Uh, and by itself it is. But what God asks us to do is trust Him and obey Him. And all these little trusts and obeys are integral parts of building a much bigger building that is the kingdom of God. And He's got this big plan and it's in His hands. And it's going to happen. And he's asking us to participate. This teaching will continue in the following episode. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening. 